want to look at 1 Peter chapter 3. Tonight, we're not just talking about the suffering of the innocent, the innocent. And we kind of blew that myth uh, last week, and I'll touch base with that in just a minute. Tonight, we're going to narrow that down to suffering of the righteous, the suffering of the righteous. 1 Peter chapter uh, 3, verse 13. And who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which is good? But, and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror. Do I need to go? You got that right. Don't be afraid of their terror. Everybody say, they're terrorists. You didn't know that was in the Bible, did you? We should preach about terrorism tonight. Don't be afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. Well, wouldn't it be great if we could leave tonight with a smile on our face, with no troubles? I mean, don't worry, be happy, whistling through our brains. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Now, that is a very interesting statement. It does not come after a period it is still a part of what he's saying. He's saying there's something to be said for making God holy by how you respond to trouble. How many know God's holy? He said you can sanctify the Lord in your heart if you do what I just read. Now, if you know anything about Moses, you know that he was not allowed to go into the promised land. You know that, right? And you know why? Because this is an educated church. You know why he was not allowed to go into the promised land. It was not because he got angry. And it was not because he smote the rock. It was because he did not sanctify God in the eyes of the people. In other words, he didn't make God holy in front of everybody. He didn't take God as his word. The Bible says here that we are to not be afraid or be in trouble by terror. And by doing that, by saying this, I'm not going to live in this fear or this uh, trouble uh, or not be troubled. We sanctify God. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready. Everybody say be ready. Always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Everybody say, be ready. Having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. For it is better if the will of God be so that you suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. It's better for you to suffer for good than to suffer for bad. Somebody say amen. Let's invite the Lord to have his way right now. Lord, I thank you for what you're sharing with me in your word. Now, I pray, God, you would allow me in, in this moment to share with your people what you're putting in my heart, in my spirit. I pray, God, that you would touch us Help me, Lord, to share with your people, God, what you're laying in my heart. I pray, God, you help it to be understood and grasped. Help me, Lord, to make it plain as you make it plain. In Jesus' name, and we give you praise for it. And everybody said, in Jesus' name. 
Amen. God bless you. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, I'm glad you're here. That's the second time you've heard that. Now you can be seated. Last week we talked about suffering. Everybody say suffering. We, we, we noticed a number of points last week, and I'm not going to uh, uh, ruin the podcast for you if you need to go back and look at it uh, and understand it. But the first point we made last week is that we need to understand, first of all, when we talk about innocence, well, I don't deserve this or that, and suffering in regards to folks that feel innocent, the suffering of the innocent. The first thing we established is that we live in a cursed world. The world was not created uh, in, in this way. It, it, uh, we were commanded to be a steward of a perfect world and humanity did not continue that stewardship. So by result of that, we live in a tarnished world. It's not a perfect world. You know that. Amen. So we, we established that. Neither are we perfect people because we established the second point is that we not the suffering of the innocent. Well, I don't know if I deserve this. We, we established the point that we, we sometimes suffer because we are being chastened is the word in Scripture. But that word means corrected. God knows how to correct us. Anybody ever got a correction from the Lord? <laughs> Absolutely. That only signifies that not only are you living in an imperfect world, you, in fact, uh, uh, obviously you do every, make every effort to do things right, but there are times where you may have not done what is right. So that led us to the third point. When we talk about the suffering of innocent, the fact of the matter is, while an individual may shake their fist at God about how the injustices of this world are clogging their mind, the fact of the matter is nobody's perfect. Turn to your neighbor and said, this is the part where he said he's talking about you. <laughs> Remember last week I said, turn to your neighbor and tell him now he's preaching about you. Nobody in this room is perfect. So while you're talking about what somebody may have done or what happened, uh, listen, if you can go correct all your mistakes, then, then you need to tell everybody to correct theirs. But the fact of the matter is, just like the, the fellows that brought the, the woman caught in adultery to Jesus, Jesus said, hey, it's, it's okay to be judgmental and be angry and throw stones, but make sure you're without sin if you're going to throw the first stone. Well, you can't throw any stones if you're living in a glass house. Your kids aren't perfect. My kids aren't perfect. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. We can go from the front to the back. None, nobody has a track record that's without mistake. So while we're talking about injustices, let's talk about you fixing all of yours. Okay, well, that's on the podcast. I'm just trying to help you. Um, we did talk about suffering for the cause of Christ, which we'll focus on tonight. But then the last thing we talked about most suffering, we talk about the suffering of the innocent, most suffering is brought on by people. People. Other people. So then we begin to ask, who's innocent when we start talking about other people? And we read a number of verses that talk about justice coming from the Lord, and the Bible talks about us stealing 
things from God. First of all, it's in our tithe. We find that in the book of Malachi. We find that reiterated by Jesus. People say, oh, that's an Old Testament concept. Well, then why did Jesus tell the Pharisees that you folks tithe even from your garden and I would that you do that, but I would that you not forsake justice, mercy, and faith. So he wouldn't have said these you ought to do if tithing was an Old Testament concept. Because even Jesus legitimized it when he said, you're tithing from your your herb garden, this you ought to do. Oh boy, it's real quiet now. I'm seeing a few weeks on giving coming up. Because you do know, if you do not tithe, you are robbing God. And God is not going to bless your family if you're a thief of God's stuff. God's not going to bless your finances. You got something that's not yours. Your money is cursed. It's facts. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, I wish he would make it plain. I don't quite understand what he's saying. So, second thing that is God's, and I think it's very important we not rob this, is vengeance. Vengeance is whose? Mine, saith who? The Lord. The minute you start trying to right every wrong, make folks pay, you are taking something that's not yours. Well, I'm going to get them back. The minute you start feeling that, you've just stepped into an arena that is God's. So when we start talking about suffering, you say, well, you don't know what they did to me. Well, listen, think about it. If you make them suffer like they made you suffer, you just doubled suffering. That's all you did. While you're talking about injustice and nobody ought to suffer, what you returned to suffering, you just magnified it is all you did. Okay. So we talked about other people. And this is where in the sermon that the Holy Ghost moved in. And we read a verse in 1 Peter 2 and verse 21. And I don't want you to ever forget it. It started off by saying he, speaking of Jesus, he suffered leaving us an example. You remember that? He left us an example in his suffering. Who knew no sin, neither was there any guile found in his mouth. That's the, that's the example that he left us. While suffering, he didn't get so upset that he sinned, and he did not let bitterness get a hold of him. When he was reviled, what did he do? He did not revile. When he suffered, he did not threaten. He committed himself to the one that judges rightly, and that's God. And then this verse says, Who in his own body bear our sins. He took on himself your sin. So then we pose the question about suffering. Are there things that I must get under the burden of that I need to carry without bitterness and anger that come from other people because Jesus is my example? All right, that's where we ended last. So we were talking about the innocent and we came to come to find out that uh, I don't know of too many that would be considered completely innocent. I will say this. I understand uh, suffering. Uh, I probably don't understand it to the degree of others, but we all have suffered in some way, whether it's emotionally, whether it's physically with sickness or disease or 
maladies or whether it's uh, uh, maybe financially, maybe uh, in relationships, we've all suffered. We, we, we recognize that. I could tell stories about people that have suffered. And I will say this, that people who've tried to paint living for Jesus as a flower-strewn pathway with no trouble, happiness and bliss, no tears, no pain, no sorrow, no grief. They are charlatans. They are snake oil salesmen. Now, I don't know if we have any more of those, but they used to show up at the county fair, unfair, at the county unfair. <laughs> and selling all kind of stuff for all your maladies and and once they got out of town, it didn't work. It's nice to talk about a God that wants to give you, you know, all the, the blessings and the big house and the nice car and the happy little family and the photograph. But the fact of the matter is there's still sickness, there's still pain, there's still sorrow, and there's still grief. And so it's hard to justify that. And we start saying, now, wait a minute, I thought if I lived for Jesus, I'd be happy. <laughs> In reality, nothing could be further from the truth. Serving Jesus does not exempt us from the normal pain, wear and tear of life. You do recognize your pants have normal wear and tear. You, some of you buy them that way. I see people wearing what I think would be a fairly new pair of jeans, but somebody took the scissors to them and cut parts of them out. Everybody okay? In fact, not only are we not exempt from that, I would say living for Jesus brings its own unique suffering. So we're going to deal with that. Let's look at Psalms 144 verse 15. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, this is when the preacher is going to talk about me. Yeah, I'm talking about all of you folks because this is the happy church. Isn't that fun? We used to sing that song in children's church. We're a happy, or even in church. Remember that one? We're a happy people, yes we. We'd sing that and there's somebody on this side mad at somebody on that side. And and, and a husband griped at his wife on the way to church. And she threatened to get out of the car and walk to church. And we're a happy people, praise the Lord. Mad as we can be, singing, we're a happy people. Is that all right? Guys, these folks up here close saw my only dance moves, right? <laughs> happy is that people that in such a case, yay, happy is that people whose God is the Lord. Man, I, wait, now, the psalmist needs to write a bunch more things that, Make us happy because a new car makes us happy. Job makes us happy. No sickness makes us happy. This verse says, wait a minute, let's cut to the chase. You are happy because your God is Lord of everything. Happy. Christian life, living for the Lord is a life of joy, peace, and happiness. There's no life more fulfilling. Can I get an amen? 
That's the fact. It offers everlasting joy. It's not just what comes here. It's what our hope is in. We know that there will be a time where there will be no more tears, no pain, no sorrow, no death. Death will be swallowed up. (laughs) Thank God. However, there is a paradox in living for the Lord that is clearly revealed to us in Scripture. And here it is. That living for God also brings a certain amount of suffering. I think some of it begins with mental anguish. Because sometimes if God is Lord and He knows what I'm going through, then why isn't something changing? We talk about physical disease or losing things or, you know, getting fired and all this goes on. But you know what? The, the mentality, what goes through your mind knowing that the God you worship is Lord and you thought it would be quite different. Somebody say amen. Somebody say amen. I'm thinking about something right now. I'm thinking about, uh, well... Let me think about it a little longer. <laughs> Let's look at 2 Timothy 3, 12 while I think about it. 2 Timothy 3 and 12. Yay, yay. Everybody say yay. 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 And all that will, everybody say all. all. It's not underlined in scripture, but it's underlined in my notes. All. Everybody say all. All, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Paul made it plain and plainly clear. That if you're going to live for Christ, then you are going to suffer for Christ. I'm going to tell you something right now. I've gotten up and testified about ABC. And you know what? That sword is double-edged. You get up and proclaim God's faithful, you know what? You're going to get tried there. You, you want to stand up and say you've got more faith than anybody else? Well, I'm going to tell you something. That we often think the devil's going to sneak in on our blind side. No, the, the scripture is full of examples that the minute you claim something, <laughs> that's where the enemy's going to hit you. This is why I think it's very important. <laughs> Somebody say amen. Uh, I, I do not think... You ought to always pray in English. Because there's some things the devil does not need to hear. And if you need more study on that, study about what speaking in tongues is. I believe you ought to pray in tongues at times. But I'm going to say something else. I don't don't think you need to pray in tongues all the time either. I think there's some things the devil needs to hear. No, you're not hearing me. I think there are some things you need to say. Well, I know we love praying in the Spirit, and Paul said, I do that, and I do it more than all of you, and it's very important. But there's sometimes, there are things I need to say, and the enemy needs to hear me say it. And I need to hear me say it, and the church needs to hear me say it. Come on, clap your hands unto the Lord. That, that's, that's very important. Very important. So, I, so in case you haven't noticed, I'm not going to fall off in either ditch. I'm going to get right in the middle of the road and I'm going to pray in my native tongue because I know the devil needs to hear me say, Lord, I believe you and even though I don't understand it. Lord, I know you're a provider. <laughs> I need to demonstrate my faith in a language the devil knows. 
And there are times where the devil doesn't need to hear anything I'm fixing to pray. So, turn to your neighbor and tell him, get in the middle of the street. Paul made it plain that if you live for God, you're going to suffer for him. Our flesh wants to hear the opposite. Okay, Hebrews 11, verse 35. Women receive their dead race to life again. How many would like that? Oh, man. Other, what, others were tortured. Wow, wait. We just got through part of the verse and we're all of a sudden recoiling. We love this verse the way it starts. Women receive their dead. Woo! And others were tortured. Oh, wait. Not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Look, don't look at people that suffer as having a worse resurrection. They've got a better one than those who don't. Well, I sure wish God would have healed so-and-so of cancer or, or been there in that moment of, uh, of despair and, and, oh, it would have been really nice. You know, I, I, there are a number of men in my life that I wish I could talk to every day. They, they would give me some wisdom, but they're not here to give me wisdom. And they did not accept deliverance. They, they were not given healing. They were not given another 15 years. So they're not here, but they've got a better resurrection than I have. Wait, that's what it says. Somebody that was raised from the dead, we would, this town would go berserk. If Bill fell over while I was preaching and they called the ambulance and the ambulance come in and said, he is dead. And we got to praying and Bill came back to life. You say, oh, we need some of that because we need to show everybody we are the real thing. (laughs) Well, wait a minute now. We got to also be careful that pride not get a hold of us. That this is God's thing. But, but, and we'd say, oh, what a great miracle. But this verse says the greater miracle, a better resurrection than Bill coming back to life on the floor of the church. A better resurrection is that one that didn't get deliverance. That we still wrestle over and pray and say, well, Lord, I just don't know why you let. The Bible's telling you they got a better resurrection. That verse says, Sherry, that they got a greater miracle by not being delivered. See how twisted we make it? That it's a great miracle if Bill comes back to life 30 minutes later. But the Lord said there were others tortured, killed, didn't accept deliverance. And they got a better resurrection. Somebody say amen. I know this is highly boring to you, but you're going to need this. Turn to your neighbor and tell them you're going to need this. Absolutely. Okay, just making sure. Not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings. Yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn asunder. They were tempted. They were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskin and goatskins. Being destitute, afflicted, tormented. There's the people of God for you. Now don't you ever forget this parentheses. Turn to somebody and tell them there's a sermon in the parentheses. Well, 
Go to the next one. I think it's in the next one. Yes, the sermon in the parentheses. It's found in Hebrews chapter 11. It says these people that the world said, look how terrible life has turned out for them. Heaven said the world's not worthy of these people. What heaven sees in us It's totally different than what we see in ourselves or what others see. People being afflicted, people battling sickness, people losing loved ones, people's lives just turned upside down. And the Lord says, the world is not worthy of those people. If they go through that and keep their faith, they're not even worthy of that world they live in. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. How many of you have promises you haven't received? Absolutely. We're in fine company with Hebrews chapter 11. Jesus taught us that as his disciples we would experience scorn, contempt, wrath, Persecution. Look at John 15, 20. Remember the word that I said to you. Everybody say, remember. Remember. Jesus said, remember, the servant is not greater than his Lord. I want to tell every one of you right now, you are not greater than Jesus Christ. And while you're griping at God about all the bad stuff in your life, you're assuming that the servant is greater than the master. Jesus said, don't you forget this. You're not better than God in the flesh. And if they persecute me, oh, it's coming. (laughs) They're going to persecute you. And if they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. Now that's interesting, isn't it? That says those that wanted to kill me will kill you. And those that listen to me will listen to you. You better be really careful when you say, I don't want to hear what the preacher has to say anymore. Because Jesus said, if they listen to me, they'll listen to you. Well, there's a sermon there too, but I'll wait and preach that later. Uh, I I want to uh, lead you to 1 Peter chapter 4 also. Before we get there, before we get there, Sister Faith. How, let me ask you something. If you suffer in life because of things that happen, maybe things you do, Let's, let's ask a few questions. I want you to give me some feedback. It, how would you suffer as a murderer? Guilt. It's a good word. Jail. There's two good words. Anybody else got any more words? Come on. How would you suffer if you were a murderer? Shame. Stigma. Huh? Mental torment. A murderer. All right? You suffer as a murderer. Let's, let's think about something else. How would you suffer if you were a thief? You may never get caught. So jail can't be on that list, right? How would you suffer as a thief? Huh? Paranoia. Why would you be paranoid? Not only that. How else would you be paranoid? Because somebody, if you're a stealer, if you're a thief, all of a sudden you get obsessive compulsive. So I think that may be, I'm not even sure what that is. Lord, you just dropped that in me. I don't, just, I'll have to look that up. You, you may get obsessive about stuff, thinking somebody's going to steal your stuff. Why? Because you stole somebody else's. You would suffer. How else would you suffer? 
as a thief. Shame. In the back of your mind, you'd know that's not mine. Everybody okay? All right, let's keep going. How would you suffer if you were an evildoer? That's getting harder as we go, right? Murderer? Oh, I know how murderers suffer. Thief? Well, now an evildoer. Somebody that sins. How would you suffer? How would you suffer? Would you suffer? You reap what you sow. And explain that. An evildoer. And, we, and we're afraid to put uh, tags on evil. Uh, we don't want anybody defining evil, do we? Is everybody okay? It's very hard right now for a church to say, look, this is evil, stay away from it. Don't do this or you're going to be lost. We want to get real generic, like everybody's going to go to heaven, and yeah, you've got these issues, but you know what, that's not really that bad. But the Bible, we can find what a sin is in the Bible. And the very, a good place to start is where the Bible says these things will keep you out of heaven. That's a good place to start. Be not deceived. Neither fornicators nor idolaters. And the, that list says drunkards. I, so read that whole list. We would be safe biblically to say that's evil because Paul said that will keep you out of heaven. Okay, so we're safe there. Let's talk about reaping what we sow. Let's talk about one of those evils. Let's talk about drunkenness. How do you reap? How do you suffer for drunkenness? Disease. Financially. Family. What else? Huh? You Regrets. Absolutely. So you see what I'm saying here. Evil doer. You list it. How would you? Okay. Let's, let's, let's do something else. Let's, let's identify one more. How would you suffer if you were a busybody? Huh? God's offended. That's very good. God's vengeance. Absolutely. Very good. Not only is he offended, but vengeance. That's right. How would you suffer if you were a busybody? Very good. Anything else? Well, wait a minute. We made a lot of jumps. We went from murderer to busybody, didn't we? You noticed your list got shorter, too. Because the closer we got to where we live... You did notice that, right? That we can all testify how the murderer's going to suffer because, bless God, he ought to. Well, wait a minute now. Busybody. Uh-oh. All right. Sister Faith, would you put that next verse up there? But let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a busybody. And you want to know what a busybody is? It's in that verse. What is it? You're just in other men's matters. It doesn't matter if it's true or false. You're in somebody else's business. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, get out of my business. 
I'm preaching to you right now. This is where you can say you can laugh and snicker behind your hand all you want to. But the Holy Ghost in me brings up a little conviction when I start talking about Facebook and Twitter and all. In this issue right here, it's getting real close to being a busybody. And the Bible says you're going to suffer if you're a busybody. So you know what? We start yin-yin about suffering. Some of your suffering is not because you're a murderer and probably not because you're a thief. But you may not be doing everything you're supposed to be doing and you may be in somebody else's business. Brother Gene, I just pray for me. I had not been able to sleep. Okay, I will. But I want to know what you're thinking about. Are you guilty? Feel condemned? You want me to pray for a miracle and the Bible says you're suffering for a reason. And you want me to get you out of it. Uh-oh. Boy, it's getting... I should have wore my hip waders tonight. All right, let's go on. Other men's matter. I think of the next verse. Is it the next verse? Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed of that. Don't be ashamed for doing what's right. Somebody say amen. amen. We must recognize the difference between suffering for our mistakes and suffering for righteousness. Let's look at 1 Peter 2, 19. I'm hurrying. For this is thankworthy. That's an interesting word. Thankworthy. How many of you all know that thankworthy was in the Bible? This is thankworthy. For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief. <laughs> man. Suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if when you are buffeted for your faults. Look, there's no glory in you being buffeted for stuff you got involved with that you shouldn't have got involved with. You take it patiently. But if when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. It's easy for you to say, well, I'm not perfect, so I understand. And yeah, it's easy to forgive because I'm not perfect. But the Bible says you understand how to endure that kind of suffering patiently. How much more should you understand that your faith in God when it's tried... You ought to be patient. How many of you, well, something happened, Brother Jim. I just don't know if I can serve God if God doesn't fix this. And God doesn't. Listen, if you take patiently the, the faults of other people and your faults and you kind of, yeah, we're all just people and we're human. Why can't you take it patiently when your faith is tried? Somebody say amen. Amen. But if when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were ye called. (laughs) Oh, wait a minute. I think we got a ministry class getting ready to start, and this goes beyond life development. It's really getting people involved in ministry, and I'm excited about it. And there's a team putting some things together. 
And we say, well, at some point we want those that feel called. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, you are called. Look at this verse. It says, hereunto are you called. You are called because Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example. You're called. You know what you're called to do? Patiently suffer. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, I'm not doing too good. Are you following after your calling? Next time I ask you that, don't think, well, he thinks I'm called to preach. No, I think you're called to be patient. Uh-oh. I figured it out just in those seconds that that's not a phone call we need to have. That's not a word we like. Everybody say thank worthy. The Greek word means to, meet, to benefit or a favor. A favor. Do you know God's done you a favor? Oh, well, okay. So let's talk about embracing, embracing his reproach. This stark reality brings us to a decision point that if we're called to suffer patiently for doing good, then it brings us to a decision point on how we're going to react to suffering when we're personally called to bear it. Now, this is where true believers are separated from false believers. I've watched trouble, uh, problems, misunderstandings destroy people. It doesn't have to. Somebody say amen. Amen. This is where a true believer is separated from a false believer. And we can make one of three choices. And I hurry, hurry to a close because it is hot up here on this platform. We can make one of three decisions. We can reject suffering and abandon our relationship with God. So you know what? God didn't answer that prayer. You know what? I don't want to have anything to do with him. That's a choice you can make. Just be aware that when you say that, you're asking for God to be under your control. You really are asking him to cease to be God at that moment because you want him to do everything you tell him to do. In fact, if we really push that, you become God and he becomes your servant. Now let's talk about idolatry. Well, God didn't, God didn't do that the way I wanted him to, so I'm, I'm just not going to serve him. We can Second thing, we can accept suffering, but accept it grudgingly, resentfully. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm still going to love God, but I ain't over it. You ever heard people say that? Yeah, I'm going to be faithful. I'm coming to church. I'm working on a sermon. Uh, have, have you noticed? <laughs> I may just preach it now. Have, have you noticed that Abraham was called to offer his son as a sacrifice and he called it worship? And there are literally people that come to church and when life's not going the way they want. Now, I'm not saying everybody does it. Some people just cold. Please don't, don't leave saying if you cross your arms, that means you're not a worshiper. That's not what I'm saying. I'm getting wiser in my old age, aren't I? Well, he's talking about me. My arms, no, you're just cold. I know that. It's okay. Brother Gary's cold. But... but <laughs> 
But there, there, there are people that say, you know what, I, I just don't understand. I wish it had been different. I'm not going to quit church, but I'm not over it either. Well, that's a decision you make. You resent it. Or you can accept suffering with dignity. You can take your harp off the willow tree and say, you know what, there's a reason I'm in Babylon. Have you ever... Has it ever struck you? I, I heard a song the other day about God delivering his people. Well, in fact, it was not only a song, but it was a sermon. Sunday, the preacher alluded to God delivering his people from Egypt. You remember those ten plagues and death of the firstborn and, and then that army drowning in the river, the crumbling of the Egyptian empire. You remember that, right? You do remember that God stuck his people under the nose of the most powerful nation in the world for 430 years. You would think if there was a church in this town for 430 years, they'd have had one or two revivals, wouldn't you? Pharaoh would have heard one or two sermons, don't you think? I wonder why God's people never affected that world. I want you to think about Antioch. They were first called Christians there. I want you to think about the early church and the persecution that arose early in our heritage. You do remember that, right? You can read it in the book of Acts how they were persecuted and you understand why that happened, don't you? Because they were comfortable having church in Jerusalem and God knew, no, we can't just keep this in Jerusalem. And if it means persecution to scatter you. Is everybody okay? I know it feels strange to pray in a hospital where there are atheists and agnostics and people that don't believe anything to do. I know it's strange there. I know it's strange to take your heart down when you're in Babylon. But maybe somebody needs to hear a song of praise and worship. Maybe somebody needs to hear a testimony that says, I don't know why I'm here. I don't have all the answers. But I know my God is the Lord. And for this, I'm happy. Come on, somebody praise Him right now. Come on, clap your hands under the Lord. And I, I don't come on, clap your hands unto the Lord. Hallelujah. We serve a great mighty God. Apostle Paul gave us a clue to this, this issue. Oh, I want to read a couple of verses here. The New Testament. When you read through the New Testament, an amazing fact emerges. That the first century church rejoiced. Problems rose, difficulties came, imprisonment, martyrdom, persecution, families ran out into the Roman Colosseum, and the list goes on and on. When you read the New Testament, an amazing fact keeps emerging they rejoiced. Oh, please, please, folks, let's not claim to be apostolic and not take all of it. Let's not just say we're one God, apostolic, tongue-talking, holy. Let's remember these people rejoiced when persecution came. 
Acts chapter 5, verse 54. I don't know if I'm in order, but we're just... uh, And they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his reputation. Hebrews 10, For ye had compassion of me in my bonds and took joyfully the spoiling of your... Wait, wait, wait. They took joyfully the spoiling of their goods. I want you to think about that when you think about booby-trapping your property so nobody gets your boat. Oh, I'm preaching to you. It's, it's a snicker sermon. That's right. But I want you to think about protecting yourself from everything. I want you to consider that the DNA in every one of us is these people that rejoiced when somebody came and confiscated their goods. Uh Uh-oh. Makes me uncomfortable. How's it make you feel? They came to church. Woo, pastor, I feel joy. Well, why do you feel joy? They came and took my car this week. I'm not talking about you not making your payment. That's not suffering for a righteous cause. You've been unrighteous. You're a thief. You're going to suffer as a thief. You got something that's somebody else's. That's the bank's car, and you told them you'd pay for it, but you're stealing it. Make your payment. That's not the suffering I'm talking about. They joyfully took the spoiling of their goods, knowing in yourselves that you have in heaven a better and enduring substance. So you know what that means? That song, This World Is Not My Home, is not just some fantasy. It's reality. If they come and take your stuff, I can rejoice because I've got in heaven a lot more stuff than I've got in my garage. Come on, somebody praise Him. Another note about your precious stuff. God's blessing our own people and and there's people that sit here tonight God's blessed tremendously. I watched my father hit golf balls until his hands bled. He had entered tournaments. I had no clue. Uh, Found out after he died he'd won the National uh, Amateur Golf World Golf Championship in uh, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, two years in a row. You talk about a man giving himself to a set of golf clubs. You know what? That set of clubs, you know where that set of clubs is that he worshiped every day, hitting a thousand balls every day. You know where they're at? They're gathering dust in my garage. Somebody's going to spoil your goods one of these days. You're either your kids are going to fight over it. I want to tell you something. You're going to leave it. So what are you protecting? I'm preaching to you right now. 
There's young adults in this room. You are so distracted from God because of stuff and junk. Right now. And that's all I'm going to say about that. Somebody say amen. Amen. Yeah. They rejoiced because somebody spoiled their goods because they have a better and enduring substance. Paul gives us a clue about this amazing idea that they rejoiced when somebody spoiled their goods. I'm not saying put a sign out in your yard and say, please come take my stuff because I want to see if I've got joy. Please, don't go from one extreme to the other. But don't make your stuff your God either. I've met people that they're so happy when they find a deal. Ooh, I got a deal. Ooh. They're not so happy when they lose something. Yeah, Betty, that's right. Kind of funny, isn't it? Let's talk about it. Philippians 3 and 10. Let's talk about it. That I may know Him. I want you to say this verse with me. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable to His death. You see, human human logic supposes that these two factors cancel out each other. If you have power, then it seems you shouldn't have to suffer, right? I want the power of His resurrection. And if you have power, you should be able to walk into the cancer ward and say, wait a minute, I got power. Well, wait a minute, Paul said, you need to understand you not only have power, but you've got fellowship also. And the fellowship you have is with His suffering. See, this is the twist in our minds that we've got the power of the Holy Ghost. We shouldn't suffer anything. No. The the balance of that is, yes, you've got power, but power is not going to stop suffering. The guy writing that was in a prison full of the Holy Ghost. Everybody okay? Okay. Paul tells us that living for God involves both power and suffering. Ours is a life where Holy Ghost power mixes with suffering. It brings a melody in the dark hours. Somebody say amen. Does this mean we should seek suffering or be some kind of freak that enjoys suffering? No, not necessarily. But it does mean that when we are called upon to go through difficult situations... We need to go through it patiently, graciously, without resentment or bitterness or anger. Somebody say amen. 1 Peter 4, 13. But rejoice in so much as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings. Now wait a minute. I think we could hear a couple sermons on rejoice. You've got the Holy Ghost. Rejoice. God's a healer. Rejoice. He's a way maker. We all rejoice for that. But this says rejoice because you are partakers of sufferings. When His glory shall be revealed, you will be glad also with exceeding joy. Look at that. Look at that. Leave it up there. Rejoice because you are partakers of Christ's suffering so that when He comes back, you will be glad with exceeding joy. Do you see that? That if you can't rejoice now, you won't rejoice then. 
If you're mad now, you're going to be exceedingly mad then. If you're bitter now, you're going to be worse than bitter then. Oh, oh, I don't need to preach that very long, do I? Because there are people in this room that will not make the rapture. And it's not going to make them more sorrowful than they are right now. It'll make them more angry than they are right now. And they'll tell God all the reasons why they shouldn't have been left here. Fact of the matter is, what you're doing now is what you're going to do more exceedingly when Christ appears. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I don't know about you, but I want to re- be rejoicing. Because when the Lord comes back, He said, if you're rejoicing now, just wait till I come back. And I want you to think real, real deeply about your bitterness. Because Jesus coming back is not going to fix that. Boy, there's another sermon. Man, I got so many series right now. Come, Somebody say amen. All right. 2 Corinthians 4, 17. A lot of verses. Even the church secretary said, man, you've been reading the Bible. Amazing, a preacher would read the Bible. 2 Corinthians 4, 17. Or maybe I said I've been reading the Bible. It was... Yeah, I think I said I've been reading the Bible when I closed the door. You said, good Lord, that's a lot of scriptures or something like that. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> anyway, let's go. Sec- <laughs> I'm going to have a pay cut before I leave tonight. Second Corinthians 4, 17. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal. God's doing something in me. It's just for a moment. Turn to your neighbor and tell him it's just for a moment. Turn to your neighbor and tell him it won't be long. We're going to be leaving here. Romans 8, 16. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs. And if we're heirs, we're heirs of God. Join heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with... Listen, don't tell me how you're a joint heir if you're not suffering with Him. That's what it says. You're a joint heir with Christ. If so be that we suffer with Him that we may also be glorified with Him. For I reckon, this is where I believe Paul's a redneck, I reckon, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Somebody say amen. Well, I got, a, I got a number of other verses. Sister Faith can give you the whole list if you want them. But I think we're done tonight. I just feel like the Lord wants to encourage us. I don't, have a, I don't understand what the future holds. But I know one thing. Great revival is promised in the kingdom of God. The, the Lord is coming back. This world is getting ready for one of the greatest moves of the Spirit of God. Come on. And it's a trying time. I want to tell you the devil's working overtime. He knows his time is short. Folks, we cannot get distracted right now. We're too close to the end. Come on, let's stand to our feet and let's worship the Lord right now. Come on, lift up your praise to the Lord. Come on, lift up your voice to the Lord. Lord, I don't understand everything I'm going through, but I know, Lord, that you're faithful. I know there's a reason for it all. Yes, I do. Amen.